Welcome to Flowing East and West, the perfectly imperfect journey to a fulfilled life. I'm Sherry Essig, an executive and life coach, and I work with people who are done settling for less than success and happiness. And I'm Ann Roby, an HR advisor and consultant focused on building strong employee engagement and meaningful company culture. Sherry, I'm super excited. My friend Trish Hegarty, who I met at a writer's workshop last fall, is joining us today. And I just have to tell you, like, so we were out in Montana and I'm checking in and here comes this fashionable gal in these cool jeans. And she, I think she even had a hat on. I'm like, oh, she must be the owner. And, and she's just like chatting us up. I'm like, God, she is gorgeous. And I was just having this whole moment thinking this gal, Trish, was the owner. And then later she's like sitting in our circle. I'm like, wait, you don't work here? It was really <laughs> funny. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> so it turns out Trish is this amazing person who lives in the Northeast. If you cannot tell by the accent, the little bit listeners that you've heard already. And she has been a Pilates teacher for over 25 years. She's also a very proud alumni of Westfield State College and mom of two amazing girls that she raised all on her own. So Trish was at the workshop because she is starting what I'm going to say is her going to be fabulously successful, best-selling novel partly about her time on the TV show Survivor. She was on Survivor in 2014. And if you listeners have not seen that season, it's really worth checking out because let me just say, I knew Trish was cool, but man, I did not know what a badass she was as well. So I really suggest you check her out. So Trish, we're just so excited to have you here on the program today. Well, I really appreciate you that you're having me. And I met Anne, like she said, in the past at, in Montana, and we've kept in touch. And we have a little writer's private group. And Sherry, I'm meeting for the first time. And this is all very fun for me. I love doing this kind of thing. So I was really looking forward to coming here today. Well, and I am very excited to meet my first ever Survivor contestant. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Well, that's exciting. And I can't wait to hear a little bit about that. That should be good. But Trish, let's start maybe a little bit earlier than that, or I don't know, wherever you want to start. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your life and journey and some of the the ups and downs and points along the way and, and things that you've learned? So I'm from Needham, Mass, which I know you'll be picking up on my Boston accent very quickly. <laughs> I summered on Cape Cod and I grew up in an Irish Catholic family with six kids. And I was the fifth of six. So to say the least, I've been surviving from the very beginning. <laughs> and there was five of us right in a row with a set of twins. And then I had a younger brother. I have a younger brother that's eight years younger than me. And unfortunately, I was born with a learning disability as well as a lot of my other siblings. So I wasn't very good at school. The only thing that I was successful at school was snack, recess, and phys ed. And let me tell you, <laughs> I rocked all three. That was very difficult. You know, I always say that one of the things that I stand true to is to, you know, rock your resilience. And I guess from the very beginning, I've just always had to rock my resilience, starting off with being a lefty. And I just, when I went to school, I didn't know what my left was and what my right was. And as a result of that, because I was good at phys ed and I was athletic, I was able to keep up with the boys. And that's where I really excelled. And so I kind of became a tomboy, which is a word that we don't hear very often anymore, but... I was a tomboy and played with the boys and that's where I sort of got my toughness and I jumped into this role that I don't necessarily think I 
was came with. I think it was something that I had to adapt to survive in life. You know, there'd be a math problem and Johnny would say, oh, why don't you ask Patty? Because that's what they used to call me when I was a kid, Patty. And of course, I didn't know the answer. So I'd be giving him the one eye, like, I'll see you <laughs> at recess. And then I'd, of course, pound him out at recess and let him know. And that sort of became my persona. And it's funny that you said at the beginning, Ann said, I met her and I didn't know she was such a badass. And then I think that happens to a lot of people that meet me. You know, 50% of the people meet me and recognize that I'm a sweetheart and I'm full of heart and soul. And then they find out later that I have this psycho side. (laughs) (laughs) And then 50% of the people are petrified me because they realize my personality is so strong and I have such a confident personality that they're actually afraid of me. And then they find out later that I'm a sweetheart. So I think I can be very complicated as a result of all of the challenges that I've been through. Then I went off to college and, you know, I grew up with a lot of addiction and alcoholism in my family, which made life very difficult and chaotic at home. We all played sports, but we all struggled with school. But fortunately, again, we were all athletic. So we all went off to college. I went off to Westfield State where I played soccer. After four years at Westfield State, the idea that they gave me a uh, certificate and said, go shape the minds of America because I was an education teacher was really quite frightening at the time. (laughs) But I've always had a heart for kids. My hero is Helen Keller. I was obsessed with her as a kid. I'm still obsessed with her. I'm sorry that she's gotten lost in the American dream because she's really the first person that introduced special needs in this country. You know, if you think about it, she's blind, deaf, and mute. And it just blows my mind that her and Annie Sullivan together could create this language that has lasted for decades. And her parents could have at that time, which a lot of people did, was put people like that in the insane asylum or give them a lobotomy or whatever. And they decided to do the right thing and hire a teacher. And she's really changed the world for that. This is interesting because I I can see as an adult looking back to learning about Helen Keller, why she'd be so inspirational. But do you have any thoughts about why she so inspired you when you were kind of a younger person? Like, what was it about her story? Well, it's funny that you're saying that now because it's kind of coming to me as we speak. I probably was drawn to her because I was struggling so much myself, but didn't have the cognitive ability at that time as a child to say, hey, you're struggling. I was too busy surviving to realize <laughs> the kids I was up at recess. <laughs> I was too busy bringing home shirts home so my mother could sew them because I was in big trouble because I ripped someone's shirt off. Oh, it was awful. <laughs> well, I just want to follow along on Anne's question. You made the comment that you just thought it was so amazing that her parents did the right thing and hired a teacher for her. Is there any relationship between your admiration for that and why you majored in education? Absolutely. I wanted to go and change the perception of how people learn. I originally went into special needs in college, but back at that time, they were saying there was no jobs in special needs because they hadn't changed the laws to accommodate special needs like they do now. And so I went on to regular ed, which in hindsight, I should have been a phys ed teacher. But then again, in hindsight, 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 I never would have made it in a school system because I'm a total nonconformist. There's not a kiss-ass bone in my body. (laughs) I will never not tell you the truth. I'll never not tell you the truth for somebody else. So there was no way I was going to survive in a school system. So I bailed out early. But back to the Helen Keller thing, 
I think for me, because I'm a talker and I was athletic when I was a kid and I was social and I had friends, it was hard for me to imagine that somebody had to live in such silence and and her wisdom now, like her sayings, life is a wild experience or nothing at all. Like she was brilliant and she was alone in her own mind. And I, I just think that we could learn so much from her silence and her wisdom and her drive to be something. And Annie Sullivan, which a lot of people don't know, ended up getting a divorce, which was very unusual in those times because she spent so much time with Helen that the husband was like, okay, see you later. This is a weird coincidence. My middle name is Helen. And my daughter, Claire, was born on June 27th, which is Helen Keller's birthday. That's interesting. It feels like there's like some sort of psychic connection there with her. That's super interesting. I feel like she's inside me sometimes. <laughs> well, that's pretty <laughs> amazing and inspiring. I want to go back to something else you said too, and we kind of flew past it, but you you mentioned that there was addiction in your family, and I'm wondering what role that has played in your development. Well, to make a long story short, I don't think I really even realized that I grew up in a family of addiction until I took a class in college called Women in Mental Health. Ironically, in 19, probably 86, not to date myself, but they were talking about all the kinds of things that nobody else was talking about at that time, like eating disorders, which I had. And I didn't even realize the magnitude or that I could actually die from it. You know, I didn't know any of this. And I remember them talking about alcoholism and describing what it looked like. And I remember looking around thinking to myself, isn't this what all your families look like? Because <laughs> <laughs> you are describing my entire can here. And it was at those moments that I realized, just taking that class, why that's why education and, and, and mental health is so important, because we're all so ignorant about it, aren't we, is that one of the reasons why I've actually become a public speaker and want to write a book and tell my story is because in that actual class, and this is a roundabout answer to your question about how it, that affected me, we had a speaker that came and her name was Susan. And she stood up and she talked about how she was anorexic and bulimic and how she almost died from it. And she explained what she had been through. And a lot of that was a very similar story to mine and all the things that I was learning about, like addiction and feeling powerless and not having a voice and things like that. And I was like, oh, my God, I feel like this woman just followed me around and then just told the speech. So here I am, the captain of the Westfield State soccer team and Miss Popular and everybody wants a piece of Trish every weekend because I'm fun and I'm dying inside. My soul is just dying because I'm sick and I'm too sad to admit it. I'm too proud to admit it. Probably a lot of it was denial. But then when I heard this brave woman, courageous woman, I could cry, stand up and tell me that story. I sort of waited for everybody to dissipate down the halls. And I basically jumped her. And I was like, you just told my story and I'm really sick and I need help. What should I do? And she said, go over and sign yourself up this free help over at the psychology department. Go sign your name up and he'll call you. And so I said, okay, so this gentleman, Patrick Washington, I'll never forget it, called me back and I went and I sat down and I walked in all, and, and he sat down. He had a nice, white, beautiful beard and white hair. It was like longer. He was kind of like on the hippie side and he had the most beautiful, kind, light bluish gray eyes and he had a very soft voice and he looked at me and he said, well, what would you like to talk about today, Trisha? And I looked at him and I went, <gasps> and I cried. And I cried 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 so hard that you were like, 
and handing me tissues and I'm boogies are coming out. I know pathetic. And I cried the whole hour and he said, come back. So I came back. I cried the next hour. I came back the third time and I probably cried for half of it. And I started and what I would describe myself at that time before I got to that place was that I was an onion and on the outside was all crusty. You know, that piece that you pull off, that's all gross. You know, the skin, dead skin on the side. That was my crusty outside, tough, Trish, soccer player, marathoner, triathlete, kick your ass. But in that chair, I was none of those things. I was a weak, sad, traumatized young woman. And he worked with me and I went every week. I was dedicated to it and I followed through and I came up with a a mantra. And I said to myself, whatever goes down, stays down because I was bulimic. So when you're an alcoholic or you're a drug addict, you know, you can stop putting alcohol in your house. You can stop going to bars. You can delete the drug addict's number. But when you have an issue with food, it is three times a day, all day, every day with all the way the ads and the way we go around food. So it's like, it's literally, you have to teach yourself one meal at a time, how to have a relationship with food. And it took me a long time, but I'm proud to say I haven't stuck my finger down my throat since I was a junior in college. And that was because that brave woman came to my class and told her story. And I was able to listen. So even if Maybe there was 30 people in the class, but I was the one person whose life she saved and she did. It's important to be authentic and true. And behind circle back, I've always been a runner because I have ADHD. And if you couldn't tell a lot of energy, so I got to get that out somewhere. <laughs> somehow. So I was running one day and I'm like, din, 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 din. and all of a sudden I passed her. And I have this photographic memory. I remember people's faces and things. I mean, if you ask me where the important documents are, my cell phone, I don't know where they are, but I'll remember <laughs> that I saw you with the swirly shirt at the Melody 1015. <laughs> you don't want my brain. I'm trusting. <laughs> so what happened when you passed her? Did you chat with her? I stopped her and I said, Susan. And she stopped. She had no idea who, who I was. And I said, you came to my women in mental health class. And I, I said, you saved my life. And I want to thank you so much. And I haven't stuck my finger down my throat in a year and a half. And I'll never stick my finger down my throat again. And I did just what you told me to do. And thank you. And she gave me a big hug and she said, I'm so glad. And she ran her way and she ran that way. And she was a stranger that will always be somebody that I keep an apartment in my heart with pure gratefulness, you know? What an amazing, amazing thing. And the series of things. So she happened to come to this class. You happened to be brave enough to wait around for everybody else to leave and to talk to her. She happened to have the right information to give you. And then you landed with this amazing man with the kind eyes. Like no pressure at all. When you're ready to talk, you will just cry. And it really speaks to the power of story, her story and how it impacted you. And then how hard it was for you to get your story out to this guy that was just willing to wait as many tissue boxes as it took to get there. As a mother, he also taught me the greatest lesson because when my kids cried, I never said, oh, stop crying. I said, cry get it out. Just get it out. Because when you're crying, you don't want someone to say, stop crying. It's like, keep crying, crying until you can't stop crying anymore. Well, a couple other things 
that I think are so important about this piece of your story is it's such a powerful reminder that you don't always know when you're going to say something that's going to change somebody else's life. It's really so beautiful that you ran into her and she got to know. I think it's a really, really good reminder that the way we show up matters and the stories we choose to share matter. And we just don't always get to know who it matters to. That is so beautiful. But also, and I know Anne said this and you said it about yourself, is the amount of courage it takes to then act on that moment when somebody has cracked you open, it still takes a shit ton of courage to really take it in, let it land, and then act on it. There's so much in that story, I think, that is important for so many of us. Speaking of having the opportunity to impact people's lives, you never know. Maybe somebody listening needs to hear this today, and there are resources and there's ways to get help. So thank you so much. And maybe they can take on the mantra, like whatever goes down stays down and you just take it one minute at a time. So Trish, you're graduating. (laughs) The state had said, go shape young minds. And you're like, what the hell's wrong with you? And I'm curious because you sort of indicated this, what you probably didn't do that for a long time is what I was sort of gathering. So what kind of happens next in your journey? So then what happens next is I graduate from college And I have no intentions of growing up. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Peter Pan. (laughs) Zero. Absolutely zero. I got a teaching job for one year and thought, you know what? I can't do this. I just can't do this. So I saved a bunch of money. And first I went off to Colorado because I really wanted to learn how to ski because I grew up in a hockey family. We never really skied. I really wanted to learn to ski. So a friend of mine told me to go to Steamboat Springs, Colorado. So off I went, the Boston girl, off to Steamboat, rocked that mountain for a year or two. Then I went to Australia and New Zealand for a year and a half and traveled all over both countries. Came back and I met a guy. My sister fixed me up with him and I fixed her up with her husband, ironically, which just goes to show that we really probably don't like each other at the end of the day. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I met this guy that I grew up with, was a hockey player. And, you know, he was the perfect scenario for me to fix. Perfect place for me to insert my codependency. He was a guy's guy and I got pregnant, married and divorced in that order. And for anyone who's listening, I do not recommend it. (laughs) (laughs) Smart. (laughs) So I married him and I had my daughter, Mary Kate, and it was a nightmare. He was a really mean alcoholic. And as the pressure got worse. The drinking got worse and it got pretty scary around here actually. So I once again found my courage and my bravery, leaving many stories out. I uh, actually asked him to leave and we were in the house that I'm at right now. So this is my summer house that I bought from my parents in 99. And so my family's been in and out of this house for 50 years and we were living and renting from my parents, but we had not purchased the house yet. So I started a Pilates business down here in 99 and I had a really very successful business right off the get-go because nobody even had heard about Pilates at that point. It was like, they didn't know if it was a disease or a dessert. (laughs) (laughs) So it was like a tough sell kind of thing, you know, and it was expensive. So I had to really like push it. 
I was a hustler. I'm still a hustler. So I opened up the studio, getting successful, was waitressing a couple nights a week, saved all my mad money, and then gave him the old see you later. Divorced him when the kids were 14 months and four and a half. I've been raising my girls that are now almost 26 and almost 29 on my own. And that is really my proudest accomplishment is my two girls. It wasn't easy. We were living here and I moved them off Cape because my oldest daughter had a really bad learning disability like myself. She was kind of good at snack recess and physics too. <laughs> the apple doesn't fall for a good thing and an ugly thing all in the same moment. So we moved her off and I rented my house out down here and I rented an apartment in Needham. And Needham is an extremely wealthy community. I was like Uncle Buck driving around in like my 2002 <laughs> Toyota Camry, like bum, 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 bum. And, and else is like passing us in there, like new Range Rovers and Mercedes. And, you know, they've got TV cameras and watching movies in the back of my kids are like, this is so unfair. And I remember like pulling my car over and I was like, but we're so happy. Like, we don't need those big cars. We have, and they're like, no, we're not. I'm like, yes, we are. We are. <laughs> you know, I want to just jump in for a second because what's really, really striking me is that your story so far is very much a story of survival and being a survivor. And it's interesting. I don't know if that is the profile of a lot of people who apply to be on Survivor, but I'm curious where that connection is for you. And I, I know I'm kind of moving ahead in your story, but you're telling such a powerful story of survival. And I think it would be really interesting to talk a little bit about how does that connect to your experience on Survivor and your decision to even go down that path? So to make a very long story short, coming off, this is actually the perfect time to ask that question, Cherry. So I got divorced in 1999. That summer, Survivor started. And I was exhausted. You want to talk about thin. I was so thin that my head looked like 10 times the size of my body. I was working 10 hours a day, coming home, driving the kids to camp, picking them home to camp, whatever it was. So my girlfriend calls me up and says, oh, we're going over to Martha's Vineyard, which is just a boat ride over from where I live on Cape Cod. And I was like, oh man, I'd love to go, but I can't, I can't, I just can't leave the kids. They're so small and this and anything. And to my surprise, my mother came over and said, oh, you know, well, I'll take the kids. And I think you really need to get away. You're exhausted. Your eyes look so blue because you're black eyes from being exhausted. Go, go have fun. I was like, don't have to tell me twice. <laughs> Bags packed. Off to the vineyard I go with my girlfriends from college. And we get over there. And you know how, what you like when you're in college. You go right back to those jackasses that you were, you know, having beers <laughs> at three o'clock in the afternoon. And I have them down on the floor doing Pilates. And we're having a blast. And we're talking about what's going on in the world at that time. And everyone's like, hey, how about that show Survivor? And I was like, yeah, I just saw it a couple of times. And all of a sudden, everybody was like, Trish, you've got to go on Survivor. <laughs> really? They're like, you would be perfect. I'm like, guys, not to hurt your feelings or anything, but do you know what I went through just to get here <laughs> for the weekend? <laughs> I'm not going anywhere for six weeks. Like that's a, like a big commitment that I can't make. And they're like, yeah, but you could win a million dollars and you're so athletic and you love people and you can bullshit when you need to blah, blah, blah. They're like, I'm telling you, you'd be good. And so anyways, 
We went out that night and my guy friends that had come down for the weekend brought a couple of girls that they had been kind of tangling with, you know what I mean, <laughs> up in uh, Newport. So they invited them down. And these girls, not to be mean or anything, just let me step off my spiritual path for three seconds <laughs> and say how annoying they actually were. <laughs> and so I was like, you guys, we should play Survivor tonight. We're on an island. We've got a group no of way. Yeah, let's get rid of these chicks. So uh, <laughs> so the guys take off. So there's like four of us sitting around and we're all drinking beer and wine. And I light a bunch of candles and we have a, a tribal council and we voted this girl Maureen out because she was driving us crazy. So, of course, we couldn't tell her that we played the game or that we voted her out. That'd be mean. We were laughing hysterically. And something about that night doing that, when I got back on that ferry to come back, I manifested it. I'm going on Survivor. I'm doing it. I need a million dollars. They're right. I could do this. So I was thinking about it. I'm like, you've been anorexic. You know what it's like to go without food. <laughs> I'm like, you're athletic, so you can do all those, all the stuff they need to do. Like you love people, even if people don't like me at first, somehow they end up falling in love with me in the end because they can't help themselves. <laughs> you know? And so I just got this thought in my head, like, I'm gonna do this. And I started living my life every single day as if I was on Survivor. Like I'd come back, I'd be in the kitchen and I couldn't open up a glass jar. And I'd be like, you know, the little voice would come in. If you are on Survivor, could you do it? And I'd, uh, <laughs> and I'd grab that jar and I'd be like, like almost giving myself a hernia over it. Like, like open it. I was like, yes, I can. And I just started swimming every day. And every time I went for a walk or a run or anything, I'd always say over my to my head over and over again, you are tenacious and willful and successful and you will do this. And I just kept doing it and doing it. And people were like, after 12, wait, I, that started in 2000, that obsession. So in 2013, after, after I had put in four or five tapes over the years, even my own kids were like, give it up. You're not going to go on. And I was like, okay, here's the deal. If I don't believe in myself and I don't believe that this is going to happen, how is this possibly going to happen? I don't care if you Jackies don't believe that I'm going, but I'm telling you I'm going. And that is exactly how it happened. Because I had in mind, if I win not go on Survivor and I win the million dollars, I can come back here and I can be happy and I can put some money away from my kids' college and I could give them a great wedding and everything's got to be so perfect. Well, <laughs> okay, I'm guessing from that tone of voice, that's not quite exactly how it played out. No, it played out even better because what Survivor did for me was gave me one of the greatest lessons that I've ever learned was because after 12 years of fighting for this, Going through this emotional roller coaster to get on it. You're on it. You're not on it. You're on it. You're not on it. It's a nightmare. And I finally get on it and I leave my 18 year old and my 16 year old at the time. And I could legally do that because Mary Kate was 18 and my mother was going to watch them. She's like, they seem fine. I'm like, of course they're 16 and 18. They're going to tell you they're fine. <laughs> and I was off the grid, so they couldn't contact me or I couldn't contact them for six weeks. That's a really scary and uncomfortable feeling to not know where your kids are or what they're doing. It was a huge sacrifice, and I realized that. So you get over to this island and you can't talk. And I, I don't want to give up too much because a lot of it's going to be in my book. But we get there and 
were all broken up into three different groups. And the three groups that we were broken up into on the show was brain, brawn, and beauty. And it was really funny because when I came back, everybody was like, so were you on the brawn or the beauty? And I'm like, <laughs> hey now, hey now. <laughs> How come no one's asking me if I was on the brains? Like that wasn't even an option for anyone. They're like, so were you on the brawn or the beauty? I'm like, okay, this is getting scary for me. No one's actually considered that I was on the brains. But anyways, we broke it up into that group and we started the game and beauty came in on a beautiful boat. Brain came in on a beautiful helicopter and brawn, which is what I was on, came in on this big rickety old crappy truck that was like falling off the beaten trails and all this stuff. But they were, you know, like this was like to get the show started. But what happened was before the game even began, they kept filming us and we were in the really in the middle of nowhere in the Philippines on Cagayan Island. And, you know, it was very native. We were out there and we came across this village and it's very hard even all these years later to sometimes talk about, but here I had for 12 years, obsessed myself, opening up jars, giving myself hernia, swimming every morning, tenacious, and I'm sitting on this crappy old rickety old truck with five different people that look like they don't even eat. They look like they eat vegetarians. They're like, (laughs) Jack, muscular. I'm like, (laughs) and I'm sitting on the back of this truck and we go to this village and there's these people and they're so tiny and they were so beautiful and they had nothing. They were basically sleeping in tents their cows looked like they were anorexic because they, you could see all their bones and sides of their, and they were so happy. They were waving to us like we were movie stars and the chickens were going everywhere and the kids are being held by their moms and they just seemed like such a single unit and they seemed so, so genuinely happy. And I stopped myself at that moment and I thought to myself, wow, Trish, for 12 years, you've been trying to get on this show. And you've been thinking that you've convinced yourself that the golden ticket was to get the million dollars. And at that moment, I realized I was a millionaire without a dime in my pocket. I'm white. I'm American. I have a refrigerator full of food. I was born into a middle-class family that was educated, that wanted me to be educated. They supported us in sports. And I had a summer home. And I had everything that I needed. And yeah, no, it wasn't perfect. And there was a lot of dysfunction. But... I had two beautiful children at home and parents that were alive. Like at that moment, I was just like, wow, how did I waste so much time when I didn't see what what I see now? And from that moment on, I had already won. So the million dollars was just going to be the bonus (laughs) because I knew in my heart sitting on that truck before the game began that I was a winner. That's so amazing that you had all of this happen and this is before it's even gotten started, right? And what a, I mean, what a huge gift. And it was such a gift. Well, it, but it also takes a special person to see that as a gift because, I mean, everybody else gets to come in the fancy helicopter or the fancy boat or whatever, and you're on this rickety truck. And I, I hear you too say, like, we got the rickety truck. But to be able to view that as already winning is incredible. And I mean, just to echo what Sherry said earlier about being a survivor, I think that also speaks to your mindset and how throughout your life, you've been able to look at things in your life with a particular mindset that helps you get past the traumas. It helps you get past the difficult times. It's just a beautiful way of looking at the world. Well, and I appreciate that compliment. Thank you. And I don't think I came like that. I think I had to 
to work towards that. I think mindset isn't something that's built in innate. I think, you know, I do my angel work and my sayings. I went to Al-Anon for a long time. I still do my Al-Anon work. I don't necessarily go to meetings, but your soul needs to be fed. So you need to figure out what that is, whether it be sunrises or sunsets or playing the guitar or going out on your board, or you need to find time to feed your soul. And I think the more grateful we are and the more present we are and the more we really work hard towards doing for others, the happier we become. You know, I think that story says so much because all of us are fighting for the golden ticket. They've done studies after studies of people that play scratch tickets and all their lives, all they do is do scratch, 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 scratch. And, and then when they win, they're miserable. And they're miserable because it's not an outside job. It's an inside job. Everyone's looking for the outside to make them happy with a boob job and a beautiful car and a a beautiful home and a this and a that. And they think that's what's going to make them happy. I'm not saying that that stuff isn't great. It is. But it's just stuff. What's inside is the golden ticket. Your resilience, your bravery, your courage, your coping skills, your ability to accept things that cannot change. One of the things that I say to myself over and over and over and over again is that old Irish prayer. And it is so pertinent is God grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change, to change the things that I can and the wisdom to know the difference. It's so powerful because we have a choice. We have a choice to be miserable or we have a choice to be happy. But when we're miserable, how do you get happy? And that's what we're all suffering from. You know, I'm not saying every day of my life is happy. I've got a lot of crap that I go through on a regular basis that could make me unhappy. But it's those moments that I sit back and I say, if I'm having a problem with my mother, which sometimes I often do, oftentimes I say to myself, well, I wish I had a better relationship with my mother. I really do. But yet at the same time, I'm really glad that I have that relationship with her because if I didn't, I wouldn't be have the relationship with my own children that I do because I saw it, I changed it, and it's made the difference. Not to go on a different spiel, but we're all so afraid of change and what's all the gun stuff and everything. And, you know, think about smoking. Now, back 20 years ago, you could smoke in a plane, a bus, in any public place you want. And when they said, oh, no more smoking, I was like, ah, I'll never go to a restaurant again. I'll never go take a bus again. I'll never get on an airport again. Well, guess what? <laughs> They're doing just yeah, fine. <laughs> you don't even hear anybody complain about that because it takes a little time to make change. And it's the same thing that like, if we make change with the gun laws now, yeah, no, it's probably not going to make a difference right away. But maybe generations from now, it will make a difference. And going back to like, how do you find happiness? I would love to get up and fix the whole world. I would love to be able to do that, but I can't. So what I try to do is fix what I can within my day. Like when I'm driving and I let people go ahead of me, or I hope to hold the door for somebody, or I see somebody that looks like they're kind of unfriendly and I give them a big smile and say, how are you today? Or... If I see somebody lonely, I'll engage in a conversation. And it's those little small things that create that bigger thing. 100%. And it adds up. It's the little things that add up to something that's so much bigger. I love that. It somewhat reminds me of the, the Helen Keller story too. If I remember at first, she was a little petulant. She was a little resistant. She was like, of course, because she was frustrated. But then little by little, Annie sort of helped her along the way. So it's the little drops that make the large pond. The bigger picture. Yeah. 
You know, it's so interesting that we could all speculate the many, many ways that being on Survivor would change somebody's life. And it's so interesting that for you, it was getting on Survivor that then put you in that rickety truck so that you drove through this little village that had such a profound impact on you. And my guess is that is not what one would expect in terms of how being on Survivor would change a life. I think actually in a lot of ways that it it affects them very negatively because they always have the regret of they could, should have done this and they could, I've never once said I should have, could have, or would have. It's not the way it turned out. One of the biggest ways to rock your resilience is accept things exactly as they are. We want to see, even like we're dating that guy. Oh, I know he's kind of a dick, but it's so cute. You know (laughs) what I mean? I like him so much. Not dealing with the reality of you have to accept the fact that this guy is not a nice guy and it's not going to change. So therefore you have to make a decision within that. We can't expect the change from other people. We can't expect the happiness from that million dollars or that gorgeous house you're going to buy or that Range Rover you finally get or whatever it is or that great vacation. Whatever you're thinking is going to buy you all that happiness. I got bad news for you. It's not. It's a small, quick outdoor fix. And you said it so beautifully earlier. It's really an inside job. So here you are having had all these amazing experiences now, and I'm really curious if you could go back to little Patty, because you were Patty back then, who is kicking ass on the playground, but struggling in school, struggling at home, and you could whisper some advice or some words of wisdom in her ear, what would you tell her? I would say to her, tune out the audience. It doesn't matter what they think of you. If they think you're stupid, let them think you're stupid because you know that you're so much more than stupid and your opinion is the only opinion that matters. Trish, I think we could go on forever and ever, like hearing more stories. And we didn't even get into all the stories of Survivor, but that's why people can go back and watch it online or read about it in your book that we know will be fabulously successful. And we'll have to have you back on when it comes out so you can tell us all about it. But I really just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. From the moment I met you, I'm like, this chick is pretty cool. I really want to get to know her. And I've so appreciated getting to know you. And I really appreciate you coming on the podcast today. Well, I really appreciate you ladies allowing me to come on to the podcast. And I was really looking forward to this. And I feel the same way about you. And I I felt so loved and supported at that Montana trip. And good women really need good women. And us three sitting here talking is so important just to even mock that we need each other. And meeting you on a weekly basis for me, being the athlete and the, you know, all the stuff that I've gone over that I've become seeing you. And I looked at you as a badass because I see you as this strong, successful businesswoman who really gets it, who goes out there and doesn't collect dust. You got an idea, you go for it. And all the courage that you've had to become who you are sitting there today has inspired me in a lot of ways. So it's important for you to know that you've inspired me. And I felt the same way about you when I met you. Sherry, this is the first time I've met you, but you're a beautiful woman, clearly on the outside. And I'm sure, no doubt in my mind, on the inside. And I can tell by just talking to you that you probably 
incredible at what you do and any client that has you is you're probably really helping and keep shining your shine. Oh, well, I thank you so much for those words. And I cannot think of a better moment on which to wrap up our episode for today. We really hope you enjoyed it and would love it if you would share our podcast with a friend, give us a rating on iTunes, or post it to your own social media. You can find information in previous episodes at flowingeastandwest.com. And if you haven't heard about it yet, we have a new opportunity for you to get engaged with the podcast. We're calling it Pod Squads, which is kind of like a book club for each episode. Sign up at flowingeastandwest.com if you want to get some more information and the opportunity for one of us to join your pod squad for a discussion. Until then, please join us next time for Flowing East and West, the perfectly imperfect journey to a fulfilled life.